0: For more information about their programs and residencies, please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. Before we jump into the life of Dolores Olmedo, I want to tell you that I am relaunching my YouTube channel, actually putting on unique and exciting new content. So please subscribe to me there if you haven't already, because I will be doing videos specifically on stuff that I was not able to add to this episode. So definitely check it out there. Art Curious on YouTube. In 2009, the Times newspaper in the United Kingdom, in association with the Saatchi Gallery, put forth a massive request for input. Tell us, they said. Tell us who you think are the greatest artists working since the year 1900. Everyone modern, everyone contemporary, alive, dead, it doesn't matter. Just send in your names, and we'll compile a list of the top 200 visual artists of the past century plus. And it's funny to know how many people took this challenge to heart, because almost 1.5 million Times readers sent in their recommendations. And 16 weeks later, the Times published the results. Of course, the names you probably would expect to be there were indeed on the list, like Picasso and Cezanne, Monet and Duchamp, all in the top 10, for example. And then there were some adorably British inclusions, like L.S. Lowry at number 125, because the British love Lowry. And there were also some surprises, like Ansel Adams being all the way down at number 153. And then, just two spots below him, sits Diego Rivera, one of the most important artists of Mexican modernism. What's not surprising, in two respects, is that Diego Rivera's wife, the iconic Frida Kahlo, is nowhere near him in that bottom quarter of the list. She is up near the top, sitting pretty at number 19. Now, not a surprise, really, being that Kahlo is often cited as one of the most beloved artists of the 20th century. And what's also not surprising is that she is the only woman to round out the top 20. The next woman to make the list, by the way, is Diane Arbus, down at number 39. I'm not going to go all feminist on you right now, though longtime listeners know that that is my frequent bent. But it is always fun to consider the relationship between Diego and Frida and how it is one of those rare cases of the wife being more popular than her artist husband. So often, it is the other way around. Typically, there's an incredible and invested woman somewhere in the shadows, away from the spotlight, while a man, her partner, perhaps, or maybe even her father, friend, brother, son, they are the one that get all the praise and there is a lot of that in art history. In fact, there's an incredible woman who is right there in the shadows behind both Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. And if it wasn't for her, it's entirely possible that neither Rivera nor Kahlo would have made that list or would be so lauded today. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Welcome to Season 11, where we are highlighting the lives and work of the women who supported some of the world's favorite artists. Today, meet Dolores Olmedo, a philanthropist and art collector who became one of the most influential supporters of Mexican modernists Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. There's a phrase in the French language that goes, Cherchez la femme. In translation, it means find the woman or look for the woman, and it is typically derogatory. Essentially, it's a phrase that's used when a dude is acting weird or having a rotten day or just really behaving badly. So they say chercher la femme, meaning that woman troubles are assumed to be at the core of any man's real problems. See, it's kind of gross. But I like the idea of appropriating the phrase chercher la femme to mean that we are going to look for the women who made things right in art history, who bolstered and brought attention to some big-name artists. And I think that Dolores Olmedo is a great person to help get us started. Maria de los Dolores Olmedo y Patino Suárez, and forgive me for my Spanish accent, was a woman who was typically just called Dolores, or Lolo or Lola, her nicknames and she was born in Mexico City on December 14, 1908, the eldest child of a businessman father and a schoolteacher mother. And it seems like Dolores picked up traits from both of her parents' careers. Later in life, she, like her father before her, would become a hugely successful business person and, like her mother, shared a passion for the arts, especially music and painting. After Olmedo's father passed away when she was just four years old, her rearing, especially her education, went into her mother's hands. And here, her mama succeeded. Dolores received a high-quality education specializing in philosophy, law, music, and Mexican art history. But little did she know that she was about to have a major brush with Mexican art history itself. In 1925, Dolores was met with a defining moment and a defining person in her life. While on a visit to the Ministry of Public Education with her mother, Dolores, aged 17, bumped into a large man wearing a painter's smock instead of the suit that was expected of a public servant at the ministry. This, of course, was Diego Rivera, who had been commissioned to complete a cycle of murals proudly celebrating all things Mexican. So it's industries, politics, foods, festivals, traditions, and most importantly, it's people. Now Rivera received this commission only a few years after the end of the Mexican Revolution. Championing a clearly Mexican aesthetic was the way to go at this point. And Rivera worked on and off on these incredible murals for the better part of five years. And it grew to include hundreds of figures to present the breadth of Mexican appearance, fashion, and culture. So it made sense that he would have to have his eye out for models to help expand his visual representation. And that's when Diego Rivera turned to Dolores' mother and asked her permission. Could he make some drawings of Dolores? Recalling this moment many years later, Dolores noted, quote, He asked my mother if he could make some drawings of me. She agreed without knowing that I would pose nude. And besides, I never told her. Dolores did indeed pose nude for the artist. One famous representation of her was later created into a lithograph, and it reveals Dolores Olmedo as a gorgeous, big-eyed, curvy woman with long, wavy hair that cascades down to her hips. Rivera isn't as sensitive about his representation of her, and, in fact, goes out of his way to make her as appealing to the male gaze as possible. Her large breasts and prominent pubic hair are on full display, providing the print with a very strong erotic charge, even if, in sections, it looks a little bit wonky. So, for example, Dolores is presented here standing with her arms, most likely clasped, I think, behind her back. Only, Rivera seems to have sketched it so badly, or just badly enough, that she appears to just have had her arms lopped right off. But still, it is stunning. And in this work, which was one of 27 drawings that the artist made of her and then later gifted to her, it makes it obvious that Dolores Olmedo made a huge impression on Diego Rivera, as much of an impression upon him as he made upon her. And they would then maintain a friendship that would build over the following decades. that that made Diego and Dolores super close for all of those years. And indeed, it has been argued by some that the two drifted apart after the completion of his murals for the Ministry of Education, simply because both of them were just busy. And if you've listened to our two-part episode on the relationship of Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo back in the first season of this podcast, then you'll know some of the basics of Diego's biography. But suffice to say that the late 1920s and early 1930s were some of the busiest years of his artistic career. But Dolores Olmedo was no slouch either. At the Universidad Autónoma de México, Olmedo took up a career as a law student at a point in history where Mexican women rarely attained a college degree, let alone advanced studies in law. At the same time, her dual passionate interests in both the arts and in Mexican culture pulled her away, and she eventually went on to study at both the National School of Music and the Academy of St. Carlos, which was one of the most lauded art institutions in Mexico City, and fun fact, the first art museum in the Americas. In addition, she traveled to Paris, where she further studied anthropology and art history, which was all evidence of a voracious appetite for learning. Art, music, law, life. She wanted it all. And she wanted to do it all. And all of that is coming up next, right after these quick messages. These days, it feels like every show I watch is a copy of something else. You can almost quote the next line before they say it. That doesn't happen when I watch Acorn TV, the best place to get shows from Britain, Ireland, Australia, and beyond. Everything I watch feels new and original, and there's something new to discover every week. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. Acorn TV has hundreds of exclusive shows from around the world, including award-winning mysteries, dramas, comedies, history, and so much more. The series you find on Acorn TV are cleverly written, visually striking, and feature renowned actors and hosts like David Tennant and Mary Berry. This month, I'm especially interested in watching Conviction, The Case of Stephen Lawrence. This is an Acorn TV original miniseries that's based on a true story. On April 22, 1993, 18-year-old Stephen Lawrence was murdered in an unprovoked racist attack. 13 years later, Detective Chief Inspector Clive Driscoll, played by Steve Coogan, reopens the case on a mission to bring peace to Stephen's parents and justice to the perpetrators. Now, Art Curious listeners love facts and a good story, and this one has got both. The Independent in the UK gives it five stars and calls it a noble piece of television, and Metro UK proclaims it as a harrowing look at years of gross injustice. You get thousands of hours of new, enthralling content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. And it's easy to watch on any device. For original shows from Britain and beyond, Acorn TV has them all. You are going to love it like I do. So try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and using my promo code ARTCURIOUS. But you have to enter the code in all lowercase letters. That's A-C-O-R-N TV. Promo code ARTCURIOUS to get your first 30 days for free. Acorn.tv. Code ARTCURIOUS. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can also be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about things like doom scrolling and sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, overeating. Stress is a fact of my life as I try to manage growing Art Curious and working on it full time while still trying to have a normal family life, managing my commitments, and trying to find any semblance of personality time. Sometimes I don't work out enough. Sometimes I snack a little bit too much. So stress shows up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and to grind all the time, here is your reminder to take better care of yourself, to do less, and maybe try some therapy. That's why I recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And for me, the convenience factor is just unmatched. I've used BetterHelp and it is so easy. There's no commuting to a counselor's office, no waiting in a lobby, and my office or bedroom can now be my therapy sanctuary. And that is pretty cool. And I want you to give it a try and see if online therapy can work for you to help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Art Curious podcast listeners get ten percent off their first month at BetterHelp.com/artcurious. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com/artcurious. Welcome back to Art Curious. For all her ambitions early in life, Dolores O'Mito made sure that her family would always be a priority. And so she took her job as a committed daughter and devoted sibling very, very seriously. After her mother's death, she swore to support her family via any means necessary. And as the newly minted Olmedo matriarch, she did so by noting a need that she could fulfill. She could become a provider of brickwork who collaborated with different local construction companies. Essentially, Dolores Olmedo was a small business owner of an industrial firm, no less. We think nothing of women owning their own businesses today in any field. But almost a century ago, this was not the norm. Olmedo was, in many ways, a revolutionary. And her commitment to her field brought her success as one of Mexico City's most prominent businesswomen. In 1935, Olmedo married Howard S. Phillips, a British journalist who had lived in Mexico since the Revolution, where he worked as a war correspondent. Their union produced four children, but the union itself did not last. And by the late 1940s, the couple had separated. There's a story that has long raised eyebrows about Olmedo and Phillips that may or may not be true, or may or may not have any bearing on their relationship and eventual divorce. According to an article in a 1998 issue of Architectural Digest covering the relatively new Museo Dolores Olmedo, more on that in a bit, Author Jonathan Candle notes that Howard Phillips discovered 27 drawings of his wife, those same 27 drawings that were made by Diego Rivera. Now, remember that the young Olmedo posed nude. And this was something that apparently Phillips could not handle. He flew into a rage and ordered that Olmedo get rid of the drawings, which, to her dismay, she ended up doing. Here was this priceless bit of her history being forced away. Luckily, though, she would have the opportunity to get them back — and garner much more in the process, too. 1955 was yet another banner year for Dolores Olmedo, a year that was marked by her renewed friendship with Diego Rivera, whom she had met 30 years prior at the Ministry of Education in Mexico City. By the mid-1950s, Olmedo had divorced her first husband, and Rivera was mourning the loss of Frida Kahlo, who had died in 1954. According to Raquel Tibol, a Mexican art critic who knew both Kahlo and Rivera, it was actually Diego Rivera's daughter who brought the two friends back together. As Tibol reported to the New York Times in 1993, quote, Miss Olmedo faded from Rivera's life until after Kahlo's death. She returned after Rivera's younger daughter, Ruth Rivera Merin, suggested that her father paint another portrait of Miss Olmedo who had become a wealthy woman with many friends among the political elite. After the portrait, Olmedo became Rivera's patron and close companion, displacing his last wife, Emma Ruttado. Indeed, the pair did become so close that Rivera spent the final two years of his life at Olmedo's Alcapulco home, recovering from several medical treatments that were aimed at bolstering his poor health. While at the Olmedo compound, Rivera occupied himself by painting portraits of Olmedo's children, her surroundings, and Dolores herself, especially his famed portrait of Dolores Olmedo from 1955, which showcases her dressed colorfully as a Tejuana, a woman from the Isthmus of Tehuantepec, where locals donned some of the most sought-after, richly designed Mexican garments. To Rivera, Tejuana women were the ideal, the most authentic and most beautiful of Mexican women. So it's no surprise that he portrays Olmedo as such, and that Olmedo, like Frida Kahlo, enjoyed expressing their cultural pride through their clothes. Their clothing preferences and their mutual care for the same man may have been one of the few things that Dolores Olmedo and Frida Kahlo actually had in common. And the relationship, or lack thereof, between these two women might go a long way to explain why Olmedo and Rivera spent the better part of 30 years as minor, not major, figures in each other's lives. During her lifetime, Olmedo made no qualms about talking about Frida Kahlo, and she was not a fan, let's just say. I was never a friend of Frida Kahlo, she once famously declared in the early 1990s. She also liked to throw shade upon Frida's intimate life, famously dismissing Frida's bisexuality as some kind of character flaw by saying, Frida Kahlo liked women. I liked men. Kahlo's paintings were met with equal derision by Olmedo, who called Frida's works trashy and ugly throughout the years. All of this while becoming one of the world's foremost private collectors of Frida's paintings. Not that that was her idea. I acquired the Frida collection to give pleasure to Diego, she said. Otherwise, I would not have done it. That statement is an important one to note, because she's referring to one of the main reasons that we remember Dolores Olmedo today. After their deaths, she became one of the biggest collectors and supporters, of the lives, works, and memories of Diego Rivera and of Frida Kahlo. Much of this came as a consequence of that renewed relationship that Diego and Dolores experienced in the mid-1950s, and the pair conceived of grand plans to build a museum dedicated to showcasing Rivera's works. And Dolores already had big ideas for the works that she wanted to purchase just for this reason. It thus made sense, in Rivera's mind, to name her the president of his estate. But he asked that she take on the role of president for Kahlo's estate as well, a proviso that wasn't her first choice, to put it lightly, as her previous comment made clear. But she did it for her friend, of whom she noted she was, quote, passionately protective and fiercely loyal. Now, let's quickly address the elephant in the room. Were Dolores Olmedo and Diego Rivera romantically involved? It's actually not completely clear. Olmedo denied the rumors throughout her lifetime that she was Rivera's lover, even though Rivera was a total ladies' man and was truly not monogamous throughout most of his life. But then historians have often tried to make hay out of those 27 drawings that Rivera made of Dolores Olmedo, especially the images presenting her in the nude. To be fair, when Rivera finally gifted those drawings back to Olmedo, who, remember, was harangued by her husband into returning him, he inscribed one large nude with the following caption, quote, For Lola Olmedo, admiration and love during 25 years, and now you will believe it and I am sure you know that this has become a great love. Diego Rivera, August 16th, 1955. Certainly, any romantic entanglements the pair may have had might shed light on Olmedo's explicit distaste for Frida Kahlo. It could have been jealousy, pure and simple. But even if there wasn't a sexual or romantic relationship there, Olmedo still might have believed herself to have been Rivera's greatest muse. How did Olmedo ensure his legacy and that of his wife Frida? That's coming up next, right after this break. Come right back. My kiddo is wonderfully curious. He's always asking incredible questions about the world around him. Like, how do caterpillars turn into butterflies? Why is the day getting longer? And why is it getting warmer now? Spring brings along new curiosities and a chance for kids to connect with the world around them. There are so many incredible opportunities to learn, and it's the perfect time for discoveries. And with a KiwiCo subscription, kids can discover the engineering and mechanics behind everyday objects, the science and chemistry of cooking, geography and culture from new places, and brand new art and design techniques, all through seriously fun, hands-on projects where they, and you, can learn about a new STEAM topic every month, ranging from rainbows to rocket ships and everything in between. Discover subscription lines for kids of all ages, ranging from infants and preschoolers all the way up to teens, and grown-ups are also welcome to join in on the fun. My son and I both enjoyed receiving his very first Kiwi Crate recently. We got exactly what we wanted, which was the Atlas Crate full of immersive hands-on high-quality activities that help us explore and appreciate world cultures, which is perfect for my little traveler. This month we learned about India, made our own mandalas and blended up our own mango lassis, and we loved every moment. And now we're counting down the days until the next box arrives in the mail. It is our favorite day of the month and it is sure to be your child's too. With KiwiCo, you can do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. So give them the tools to learn new skills, build new experiences, and make new connections to the broader world. There's something for kids of all ages and there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. Step into spring and celebrate the season of discovery with a KiwiCo subscription. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping with any crate line with code ARTCURIOUS at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at K I W I C O.com. Promo code ARTCURIOUS. I think research is fun. I love that feeling when you finally open a book or an archival box and you see what you've been hunting for. It is so rewarding. Hunting down answers to your questions can be such a joy, but when it comes to hiring, you don't always have as much time as you'd like to spend hunting for great candidates with the right skills. And that's why there's Indeed, the best hiring partner your team can get. If you're hiring you need indeed because indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract interview and hire all in one place and indeed is the only job site where you are guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. So with Instant Match, for example, as soon as you sponsor a post, you will get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your jobs, and then you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet those must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash art. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to indeed.com slash art to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash art. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bombus's mission is simple, make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombus, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombus designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from amazing materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and cashmere, which makes them the perfect cozy layers. And there's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options, like comfy performance styles for every sport and activity. And when I'm going on a run, I wear their socks that are specifically made for runners. And then when I'm relaxing at home, my favorite is their merino wool socks. They are so soft and also just beautifully designed. And Bombas isn't just socks. They have t-shirts with thoughtful design features like invisible seams and tagless options. And Bombus underwear has a barely there feel with sex skin support that might actually make you forget that they're even there in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. Go to bombas.com slash artcurious and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash artcurious for 20% off. Bombas.com slash artcurious. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making just keep ar- it simple. Uh, I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Bravo Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Bravo Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo, bros. Good job. Welcome back to Art Curious. Dolores Olmedo did hold true to her word to establish a museum dedicated to Diego Rivera, Frida Kahlo, and Mexican art and culture, though it would take decades to come to fruition. Using profits from her successful construction company, she began to invest in real estate, and in 1962, she purchased a sprawling 16th-century compound on the southern edge of Mexico City. A former monastery, the estate featured verdant gardens and land occupied by several peacocks and other native birds, as well as multiple Xoloitzcuintle, a breed of Mexican hairless dogs. Olmedo lived on the estate for decades as she continued to build her private art collection which not only consisted of works by Rivera and Kahlo that Rivera sold or bequeathed to Olmedo before his 1957 death, but also included folk arts and crafts made from traditional materials like papier-mâché, copper, tin, and ceramics. It also included pre-Hispanic archaeological pieces, gilded wooden figures from Mexico's colonial period, and works by both modern and contemporary artists who both worked and were inspired by Rivera and Kahlo. During that same period, Olmedo worked alongside Rivera's daughter, Guadalupe Rivera Marín, to secure, quote-unquote, historical monument status to Rivera's murals in Mexico City, a designation that was indeed granted, as well as to the works of Rivera's close pals, José Clemente Orozco and David Alfaro Siqueiros. By the late 1980s, Olmedo was finally prepared to make the Dolores Olmedo Museum a reality. But the project took longer than expected because her entire hacienda needed to be gutted, rewired electrically, and then fitted with a state-of-the-art climate control system to protect the valuable and fragile works of art therein. And it was not easy. As the lead architect, Luis Hernandez would later comment, quote, More than half of the building was slowly sinking because its foundation was on land that used to be a lake and canals. In some rooms, the roof was leaking and largely had to be redone. Meanwhile, Olmedo herself had to move into an alternative abode while her home, including her private quarters, were being retooled. And at one point, she even squatted in makeshift barracks outside the hacienda, declaring, quote, I felt like an earthquake refugee. Still, Don't feel too terrible for Dolores, because again, she was very wealthy and a very well-connected woman at this point. And when her museum did eventually open its doors to the public in 1994, it, and she, was met with great fanfare and press. In many ways, the Museo Dolores Olmedo, as the name so keenly suggests, was a monument as much to the philanthroper and collector as it was to Rivera, Kahlo, and the artist and artworks that she collected. It contained photographs and personal effects from Dolores' life that were all just scattered about, including personal letters and autographs from celebrities and politicians. Indeed, Olmedo was incredibly involved in the selection and display of her artworks and the curios in the museum, even suggesting exhibitions that revolved around her and her artistic, political, and financial influence. You can imagine that this self-focus and single-mindedness might have been met with some criticism, and you'd be right. Until Ometto's death in 2002 at age 94, She repeatedly fended off the objections of art historians who noted her overt preference for Diego Rivera's works over Frida Kahlo's, which led to perceived withholding of Frida Kahlo works from display. Some have even declared Olmedo's actions a kind of sabotage against Frida's rising stardom, which really began to skyrocket in the early 1980s after the publication of Hayden Herrera's landmark biography of Kahlo. Which was released only a few years prior to the construction of the museum. By keeping Kahlo's works out of the public eye, Olmedo declared, she was actually assisting to keep the works intact and safe from travel and over exhibition, and thereby also increasing their market value, a concern that Rivera did share for his wife's work during his final years. And until her final days, Olmedo asserted that it was through her efforts, due to her promise to Rivera, that Kahlo had even reached celebrity status, with Olmedo saying, quote, if it were not for my private collection, Frida Kahlo would not be known to the world. This sense of competition, whether true, rumor, self-prophesizing, or some combination thereof, it did indeed appear to have some effect on the legacy of Frida Kahlo during Olmedo's final decade. As an example, For a long period of the construction of the Museo Dolores Olmedo, Frida Kahlo's iconic home, La Casa Azul, was shuttered. Conveniently, as pilgrimages to the Casa Azul were just beginning to soar. Now, Olmedo, as the president of both the Rivera and Kahlo Trusts, could have made the renovation of the casa, now christened the Museo Frida Kahlo, simultaneously as constructing the Museo Dolores Olmedo, but she chose not to. And this was a decision that infuriated many Mexicans. In one New York Times expose, locals commented on the perceived competition and jealousy that seems, even today, to swirl around that triangle of Olmedo, Rivera, and Kahlo. One woman, rather straight to the point, quipped, quote, Dolores Olmedo kept the museum closed for two years because she wanted to, because she has a passionate hatred of Frida. I don't think she ever pardoned Frida for being the true woman of Diego's life." Even Rivera's daughter, Guadalupe Rivera-Marín, noted her frustration with Olmedo's control over the legacies of the artists, noting, quote, "'Everyone in the country is very afraid of her. She has been very friendly with all of the presidents, and all of them do as she wishes,' unquote." For her part, Dolores Olmedo appeared unflappable, even up to the end of her long life, often calling her critics envious meddlers, who chose to view her works negatively rather than considering the positive effects of her commitment to Mexican culture, especially via the legacies of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. And it is entirely possible that much of the explosion of interest in both Kahlo and Rivera may not have been quite so big without Olmedo's foresight and dedication. Because of her friendship with Rivera, She funded the largest private collection of Frida Kahlo artworks in the world, bought for the equivalent of only $1,600 at the behest of Kahlo's widower. And there's something special about needing to make the journey to Mexico City to see so much of both Kahlo and Rivera's works within the city and the country that they made them, that they so loved, that so inspired much of what they did. In today's competitive world of art collecting, Where works are scattered to all four metaphorical corners of the globe, that is not a small feat. And for better or worse, it does allow for some extra context for experiencing and understanding these icons of Mexican modernism. And just because Dolores Olmedo is no longer living doesn't mean that she has stopped exerting influence over the artists that she both loved and loathed. In her final years, she dedicated significant funds in her will to continue the funding of the Museo Dolores Olmedo, And since its opening in 1994, it has grown to include a five-building complex filled with over 6,000 works of art, welcoming millions of visitors. I, for one, am grateful for the opportunity to experience her one-of-a-kind collection and that her memory has helped us, as art lovers, to enjoy so much of her country's artistic and cultural riches. And as for how she herself wanted to be remembered, she once said that she wanted to be recalled, quote, just as I am. A woman who did whatever she felt like doing, and luckily, succeeded at it. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. And huge thanks to Josefina Della Torre for her awesome research and writing help with this episode. Art Curious's theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. And our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki Podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchor Light encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means that you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support. To find the donation links and for more details about our show, including the transcript for today's episode and our reading recommendations, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. Also, check us out on social media at Art Curious Pod. Check back with us soon as we continue to explore the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful women behind the scenes in art history.